Today's episode is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. They've been around with us for a very, very long time. Very One of the OG time. sponsors of the Pat McAfee Show and Heartland Radio. And when I talk about Dollar Shave Club, I can't stress enough the quality of their products. The good, quality good of quality. their shit. They've spent years developing, crafting, refining everything. They have everything I use to look, feel, and smell my best. You name it, they have it, and I use it. I've been a Dollar Shave Club member for years. I, if you go to my bathroom right now, it looks like it's a little like showroom for Dollar Shave Club stuff. I have the executive razor. I have the shave butter. Oh, that's and you nice. pull open the drawer underneath the sink. It's just covered with all kinds of cool Dollar Shave Club stuff. And as amazing as their stuff is, Dollar Shave Club is way more than razors. And oh, yeah. Stuff. I've heard yeah. that. Damn right. Way more. They have you covered head to toe. They have everything you need to shower, shave, style your hair, brush your teeth, and yes, even wipe your butt. The Dollar Shave Club can get you automatically stocked up on the products you use and get what you want whenever you need it, whether it's once a month or a few times a year. I never have to waste time at a store wondering if what I'm getting is any good or not. As a good Dollar Shave Club member, I know that I'm going to get the highest quality shit. The best. Exactly when I need it. And right now, you can put the quality of Dollar Shave Club's products to the test. Their ultimate shave starter set has basically everything, and I mean everything, you need for an amazing shave, the executive razor, shave butter, prep scrub, the post-shave do. The best part is you can try it for just $5. After that, the restock box ships regular-sized products at regular prices. Get your ultimate starter set for just $5 at dollarshaveclub.com slash heartland. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash heartland. Real excited about today. Super excited. The whole crew's here. Mm-hmm. Me. Uh, Pat steps in in a second. We got uh, we got Diggs, Diggs here. We name. got Nick. We got <laughs> I can't wait to say at Tone Diggs. He's literally too excited. He's so <laughs> yeah, excited. He is. By the way, every time I think I want to say at Tone Diggs, at Tone Def goes in my head. Just so you know that. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's anybody else. Ty Schmidt, Bailey, and Zito. We're all here because you know what? We have probably this probably is going to go down as one of my favorite guests mm-hmm. today. If, all time, if not favorite guests. Um, without further ado, let's get to it. Behind the bands. This is, only, this is so funny. It's a true American badass. Maybe we'll give this to you. For now on, for Copland. For Copland. <laughs> Joining us on the phone is a retired federal agent completing 27 years of service with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. You're not supposed to leave out the E. Everybody leaves out the E. He's best known in law enforcement circles for being the first federal agent to secretly infiltrate and ride with the Hells Angels. No big deal. He's a New York Times and international best-selling author. You can find his books, No Angel, My Harrowing Undercover Journey to the Inner Circle of the Hells Angels, and Catching Hell, A True Story of Abandonment and Betrayal, anywhere that books are found, or you can go to jdobbins.com if you have any questions about getting J. Dobbins shit. All right. Jay, thanks for coming in, brother. Right on, man. Thank you for having me, and thank you to your audience. Yeah, man. And by coming in, I mean, we're doing this by Skype. <laughs> this is our first Skype interview. We're pretty excited about it. We had a couple bugs to work out there at the beginning, but it looks like we're all good now. So, man, I want to start off just to just, just overall give people a picture of what you are, because 
our listeners know my law enforcement background. So you were always a legend among people that worked in the undercover community around here. Everybody I worked with, the older guys had the story about you, and then and then I would pass on that story to new guys when they joined the unit. You know, like hey, this this guy, he was the guy. He he was like our undercover Jesus, right? He had accomplished <laughs> more in undercover work, pretty much more than anybody else. So. That's why I wanted to have you on here and tell your story. Um, you started off, you're a football stud, right? That's, well, I don't know if you'd call it a stud. I was a football player. Right? <laughs> um, I, like when I look at my football career, I was a great high school football player. I was a good college player, and I was a terrible pro. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you were, you were a wide receiver at the University of Arizona. Where did they go after that? I did. You know what? I, I had no plan B. I was going to be a pro football player. And I went to the 1984 NFL Combine, right? And Uh I was an all-pack 10 player, and I was going to go and and show off and and show all those scouts and coaches and general managers how valuable I was, right? Right. So uh, we're running and jumping and doing all this stuff, and I find Al Davis with the Raiders out on the grass. Okay. And I ran up to him and said, coach Davis, how am I doing, man? I, you know, I'm a Fred Belitnikoff fan and I always love the Raiders. And he looked at his score sheet and he said, Dobbins, Dobbins, you're the fastest slow guy I've seen today. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they, they, they put us together in this group. Right. And, and I'm with a couple guys, never heard of these dudes, same size, same build, uh, one guy's from a little school in Mississippi. Another dude is from Cutstown State, which I, right. I I didn't even know there was a Cutstown State, right? <laughs> so I shake hands with them. Hey, man, where's your school? Oh, we're in Pennsylvania. And so I'm thinking to myself internally, my internal dialogue, I'm whipping everybody's ass today, right? <laughs> right. So 10 minutes into the drills, I realized I was not going to be a professional football player. <laughs> <laughs> That's how long it took. But the guy from Cutstown State was Andre Reed who, oh, as oh. you guys know, yeah. played, what, 15 years in the mm-hmm. leagues in the Hall of Fame. Sure. And the guy from the little school in Mississippi went to Mississippi Valley State. It was Jerry Rice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I was not necessarily judging myself against the fairest competition. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, I, could, I just physically could not do what those guys could do. I couldn't run or jump or, or anything that they could do. So my plan B... Like, I didn't have a plan B. My plan A failed, and I didn't have a plan B. Right. Well, there's no shame in that. I mean, very few people on the planet can compete at that level. But you obviously were a gritty bitch, I guess, to get to that <laughs> point, to be a slower white feller that caught footballs. Um, even to get to that point, it's pretty good. So I'm assuming it's pretty much grit-based. So when you, when you, we couldn't have found out that you couldn't go to the NFL. Did you, like, have cop in your blood? And through your bloodline, through your family, what made you think, oh, that's what I want to do? You know what? I'll tell you what. I didn't. Um, and at the time, this was mid '80s. Okay. The television show Miami Vice was super popular. It was. And so, as an audience, we had never seen a cop show like that. Right. Everything had been very procedural, like uniform cops and detectives. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Sonny Crockett shows up, and he's wearing a Hugo Boss suit, and he's driving a Lamborghini around South Beach. You know, when he's he's dealing with these flashy, flamboyant kingpins and there's a ton of cocaine on some barge out in the harbor. And he's he's at these mansions and there's these big titted stripper models like bringing a martinis. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, you know what, man, I think I can do that. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that show had us all hooked back then, I think. Um, so why, why, how did you end up with ATF? Was, there like, was that by design, or was it one of those things where I'm just going to apply with everybody, first one to take me gets me? You know, it was by design because I knew I wanted to work undercover or at least try to work undercover. Okay. And ATF had the most, still does, the most dynamic undercover program in federal law enforcement. So that's, that man, that's where I wanted to go. That's where I, you know, that's where I, I knew, I knew where my home was. Okay. So how long, when you go in, sorry, so like where I worked, I had to start as a uniform officer for a little bit, and then I became a regular detective, and then, then I had to go to undercover. So they kind of picked from people that had ex- outside experience, you know, in other fields before you could get there. It, federally, do you just walk right in undercover? Are you hired for that, or do you got to work your way from like a regular field agent? Well, you know, it starts pretty quick, and but I came prepared now. I have a prop for you, right? I was waiting for the star. I was waiting for Pat to show up. Right? <laughs> What's going on, man? I am so excited. So I got hired on a Monday, right? Uh, four days later, I've been on the job four times. I haven't been to an academy yet, and I got taken hostage and shot, right? So I'm going to show you this shirt if you can see it, right? Holy that shit. hole right there uh-huh. is where the bullet went in my back. It went through my lung. It narrowly missed my heart. And it came out of my chest right there. Oh, a lot of blood. Day four? So that, you know what? That was four days. With the feds, <laughs> we get paid every two weeks. I hadn't even gotten a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> so let me pull back a little bit because you jumped into that fast. You had not even been to the Federal Agent Academy, FLETSI, I guess it's called now. I don't know what it was called then. You hadn't even been to the Academy and you're in it, working in an undercover capacity? I hadn't even test fired a pistol at a shooting range yet. <laughs> Jesus. So how, how does that happen? How did they're like, dude, you you just you look so much like what we need. You no, look you know like a it bad goes guy. Back, there's a there's a football tie to it, right? We're going out to arrest this cat uh-huh. and he takes off and, and and runs from us. Well, you know what? I wasn't fast by NFL standards, but by cop standards, man. I was, <laughs> I was 4'3 in Copland. <laughs> so I went and, 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 and tracked this dude down and, and, you know, and not knowing what I'm doing, uh-huh. right? I get taken hostage and shot like four days on the job, and I'm laying in the dog shit of a trailer park with blood coming out of my chest like you're holding your thumb over a garden hose. Oh, Jesus Christ. Right? And I referenced the, like the Miami Vice was my inspiration, right? I yeah. was thinking like, man, I don't remember this episode with Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> how long were you held hostage? How did that? Tell me how that went down exactly. So you're you know, in a foot pursuit the, and you uh, become a hostage. The cat that we were chasing uh-huh. uh, swung around behind me, had a gun to my head, oh. uh, stuffed me in a vehicle that was there and was basically holding the gun to my head saying, let's go, get me out of here, let's go. And to be honest, I had a moment of clarity and I was like, this cat's going to shoot me, but I'd rather him shoot me here with some of my partners around right. than 20 miles down the road where he's going to execute me on the side of the street. Right. Yeah. So I pulled the keys out of the ignition and just dropped them on the floor. And when, when I, when I wouldn't leave this probably 15 second gunfight erupted inside this vehicle with like dozens and dozens around fired with, with me just sitting there you know, absorbing it. So you have your backup, your, your boys are firing into the car. 
shit. Uh, They're firing into the car from the outside. The guy that had me hostage shoots me and then is firing back out of the car. Uh, so it was it was like it was like a Quentin Tarantino sequence. Dude. So you're dead in that guy's head. In that guy's head, when he shoots you, he thinks you're dead. Now he's going to try to kill everybody else. Yeah, this, I mean, this cat knew. I mean, he. we had learned afterwards that he had stated, like, there is no way I am not going back to prison. You know, he obviously had uh, some bad experiences there, very likely in the shower, and wasn't going back. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst dude to deal with, for Dufresne. sure. Dufresne. Yeah. Andy Dufresne in the same scene. <laughs> and it's always, I know it's like, that's like the worst possible scenario. You started off your law enforcement career with the worst possible possible scenario because every cop out there has had a moment where they just acted without thinking and ran to where they shouldn't have ran and got there and thought, oh, fuck, that was stupid. And But nothing happens. With you, you got held hostage, you shot, and you got caught in the middle <laughs> of a gunfight, and you're four days in. Well, I'll tell you what. So I get transferred to Chicago because I wanted to keep, I wanted to work undercover, right? And they, so like, well, you can't do it here. There's too much publicity around this shooting. So I get transferred to Chicago. A year later, I'm in another gun battle. I did an undercover deal for some machine guns with some gangbangers outside of Joliet, Illinois. Oh. And got into a shootout with these guys, got shot, <laughs> got run over by a car. So within 18 <laughs> months on the job, I'd been like shot twice, run over by a car, um, Hey, I don't mean hey, to laugh, but this is time. some of the most insane fucking life stories I've ever heard in my life. This is and crazy. And here's the thing. You know what? I loved it. I loved it, man. You'd have um, to. Because I loved every day. Yeah, I, I assume you do, or four days in, I get taken hostage and shot. I'm putting in my resignation. Like, <laughs> you signed up to stay on for another 26 and a half years. Well, after That's that incredible. first shooting... I had all these attorneys, these liability attorneys lining up saying, hey, man, we can get you millions of dollars. You should not have been put in this position. You weren't trained. The, eight, the government has huge liability for, for what happened to you. Uh -huh. Like, let us make you a millionaire. You know, but I grew I mean, I grew up in a blue collar house. My dad was a carpenter. My dad pounded nails for a living. My mom scrubbed people's toilets for a living. I didn't know what money was. Millions of dollars didn't mean anything to me. Right. I just wanted to get back and try to do it the right way. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. That's what I get every single time I wear one of my movement watches or sunglasses. Zeke, can I ask you something? Yeah, go ahead. How much time do you spend in front of your digital screens? Oh, 98% of my day. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about it. 99% of the day for me. Mm. I know I spend hours at a time looking at my screens. Between my phone, work, binging news shows, video games, scrolling right before bed, that's why I started wearing Movement's Ever Scroll Blue Light Filtering Glasses. <laughs> They're built to protect your eyes from blue light that's known to cause eye strain, discomfort, and poor sleeping patterns. It promotes sounder sleep, <laughs> elevates the mood, lowers stress hormones, improves focus and mental clarity, and sharpens vision. They look like just they look just like regular glasses. No yellow tint uh -uh. like you find other other blue light backers blockers. Pick from round frames, clear frames, colored frames, etc. Mm. Movement selection is always expanding with new traditional and fashion forward styles for you to choose from. Movements Blue Light Sunglasses help us change our habits so that we can keep up with the changing technological world. 
Ever scroll blue light filtering glasses start at just $65. Whether you're at the office, scrolling through your phone, or unwinding from a long day, ever scroll glasses have you covered. Better focus, better sleep, better style. Mm. Zeke, I'm going to call to some action. Oh, call away. <laughs> Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash heartland. Shop MVMT Everscroll Blue Light Filtering Glasses. Protect your eyes and look great doing it. Go to mvmt.com slash heartland. Join the movement. Undercover. This, I'm, boy, boy, I'm... Even from my background, I am like in awe right now. First of all, I didn't know you could just walk right into undercover. Like, yeah, I was wondering why I haven't done that yet. Just, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, I would like to be undercover. Throw me out there so I can potentially get shot tomorrow. <laughs> I, I assume that had something to do with the era. I was uh, probably now they're like, you know, hey, we're gonna make sure everybody gets trained before the, before we throw them in the middle of a, uh, a drug deal or whatever. But yeah, the, the art of undercover work is dying. Yeah, um, it's it's just it's not that. Um, it's not that common anymore. But in the late '80s, man, we were we were thriving and surviving behind street operations and undercover work. Before we get into the big case, let's talk a little bit about like what the mindset of being undercover, like and the difference between deep undercover and what the stories I, I've told these listeners. You know, my undercover work was like day to day. All right, today you're going to go buy some rocks in this housing project, and then afterward, I went home to my family. It's a good day's work, you know. You to go deep undercover, like in an infiltrating capacity, where you got to blend and actually live as one of them. Whatever, like there aren't very many people that have ever done that. There aren't very many people that can do it. Like you go, all right. So I've explained to our audience, like if we look at Pat being the NFL, that's the one percent of the top one percent, right? The one percent that made it to a Division One college at that level, and then one percent of them makes it to the NFL. There's one percent of all cops who can just fool bad guys on the street for street level buys and stuff, and then there's one percent of those that can do what you did. So, what? It, explain the mindset of. Uh, for first of all, I want to live this life. <laughs> Secondly, once you're in there, I mean, you obviously just loved every minute of it. What? What about you makes you that person? Well, I, I think your analogy was spot on. So, so you use this NFL analogy, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and Pat's experiences, you know, in the NFL. Mm -hmm. and, and we as fans, uh, we, we criticize athletes and we critique athletes, right? But what people don't realize is that if you go to the worst team in the NFL and then you go to their practice roster, the guys that can't even make their 53, yeah. and you look at the worst player on the worst practice roster in the NFL, that guy is an amazing football player. Yep, and he's great. better than any of the people that are out there criticizing ever dreamed of being. Right. Yeah. So like you, that, you translate that into undercover work, there's hundreds of thousands of cops out there, but there's only a handful that can survive and thrive in that environment or, or want to. You know, no one holds a gun to your head and makes you do it. You have to want to do it. Agreed. And I think Pat would appreciate this analogy as well. Not only that, but you're like, just like a player is in the NFL, like their GM, your chief, your captain, your supervising agent, whatever they, they didn't play. You know what I mean? They, they never were undercover, but here they are making decisions for you and trying to tell you how to do your job. How frustrating is that? Well, yeah, you get people that advance and then all of a sudden they got a title behind their name and they think that makes them an expert. 
Exactly. In every field. I couldn't even fathom in this one. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you another sports analogy where it ties together for your show is that, like, any wide receiver out there can catch a slant. That's that's part of the business. You have to be able to catch a slant. But how many of them are willing to drive over the middle to catch a slant? It's willingness, man. The great ones are. The ones that are exceptional will go in there. And they're willing to go inside and get that ball, knowing that they're going to get their teeth caved in, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The same thing goes for undercover work. Like, like I wasn't exceptionally great at it. I was willing. I was willing to try, and I was willing to try to do things that other people didn't want to. Yeah. No, I think that makes perfect sense. Did, did you feel – were you scared the first time you did it? Did you feel like, oh, shit, I'm about to shit my pants right now? Yeah. You, well, I think part of it is uh, – learning to be comfortable while you're uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, And you know, those, those first couple deals, man, you're trying to talk to a guy and you're trying to be street and you're trying to be smooth and man, like your hands are shaking. So George Young, when he was walking out of that airport with cocaine (laughs) in, uh, in blow, he says like in his mind, he has to just go there for you. Did you just have to go to a place where you're like, fuck it. I'm a gangster now. That's what I am. Is that just kind of what you had to do? Yeah, absolutely. There's times, there's red flags when you know, like, man, this is going bad. I need to remove myself from this. There's also times where those spidey senses are tingling and it's, and you can tell it's trippy and you just literally have to like pull your nuts up and go (laughs) and and use your expertise and your experience, Uh you know, and it's, it's comfort and confidence. And it's, it's the same as in sports. I don't know which one comes first, but Mm -hmm. When you're confident, then it allows you to be comfortable. Or you're comfortable, and then it allows that swag of confidence to come out. I, I don't know which one's first or second, but I know they go hand in hand. Absolutely, and it's a different. It's a different fight. Like you're 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 out there. You're a warrior, but you're a warrior with your mind when you're undercover, right? So SWAT guys, I give them all the credit in the world. They're badasses. You know, they're warriors with a gun. They act as a team, and they go in and they're ready for armed combat. Where you're out there, like all you have are your wits. And your ability to talk some bullshit. That's all you, well, you know, got. You don't carry no, a gun most that, of the time, right? That's perfect. You know, and and, and a, a story. So we raid the Hells Angels clubhouses after my infiltration. Mm-hmm. And all the SWAT guys are there and they're taking trophies in front of the in front of the insignias. And I hand them the camera back after I took the picture. And I said, you know what the difference between you guys and me is? And, and agreed. <laughs> I love the SWAT guys. Right, right. I, I, they're, they're exceptional. They yeah. saved my ass many times. Uh-huh. I'm like... You guys have weeks to plan for this, and you do tape drills, and you show up with knee pads and elbow pads and M4s <laughs> and a sidearm and Kevlar helmets and, and Kevlar vests with ceramic plates and goggles and inner perimeter and outer perimeter, dogs, <laughs> helicopters, all this shit, right? Uh-huh. All your Oakleys and your boots and your Velcro <laughs> and your dip and all your shit, right? And I'm like, I went in there by myself with a five shot stuck in my boot and a, and a body wire taped up the back of my leg. Yeah. That's the difference between me and you. Okay. <laughs> what, a, what, what an alpha move, by the way. <laughs> what a moment that had to be then, for that you know, SWAT team. Their response is typical SWAT. You know, they take a drag off their cigarette and they're like, too bad for you, dude. You should have came with us. <laughs> 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 so all right so let's step into operation black biscuit that, that was the real name of it right that was the name of the uh infiltration operation into the hell's angels yes named after a hockey puck 
Like it was. Guy. You know what? The, the case agent didn't want any leaks. He didn't want anybody being suspicious or curious. So if this was some kind of glamorous, cool Hollywood name, he didn't want to trigger anybody. And he's a huge, our case agent's a huge hockey fan. Uh-huh. So when he named Jeez. it Operation Black Biscuit, it had a hockey theme, but all the supervisors thought it was racist. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> You want to call it what? <laughs> uh, it's hilarious. All right, so you get grabbed up as the uh, as the undercover guy, the UC guy, right? So there's a case agent who's obviously got some kind of investigation going on with this chapter of the Hell's Angels there in Arizona. Is that the how you Hell's got The Hell's Angels there? in Arizona, actually, in the West Coast, were like running wild, like with impunity. The violence was out of control. So the case agent came to me and, and wanted to take a crack at these guys. And everybody said it was impossible. You know, the angels had run for, at that point, like 55 years in their history and never been fully infiltrated. Mm -hmm. And so, Jeez. like I said, man, I, I'm not necessarily sure I was ever smart, but I was always willing. Right? <laughs> so I was willing to try. All right. So you over five decades <laughs> of impossible infiltration. You've been shot twice already at this point. Hey, you want to go do it? Eh, fuck it. <laughs> you know, over the course of my career, I was involved in well over 500 undercover operations. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and Todd, like you said, everything from, from uh, dime bags on the street corner out of the park and eight balls up to cartel dope. You right. know, I bought like pea shooter uh, Saturday night specials up to shoulder launched uh, rockets, missiles, you wow. know, wow. Uh, uh, street dope to cartel dope. Uh, pipe bombs that some tweaker was making on the workbench in his garage up to servo activated like remote control C4 devices. Jesus. So when that case came around, like I was, I was groomed. I was uh -huh. ready. Oh, yeah. You know, I was prepared for it. Yeah. yeah. And you had the resume. This is probably the biggest case. I assume that field office had probably approached up to that point. But by the way, was there any sense to you that this was the Holy grail? Because I just speaking from my own experience, like, we, if you got an opportunity like this, like everybody always looked up to you, right? In my community anyway. Like, oh, if I just got a chance, man, if I, if I could really just get in there and infiltrate this big crew or whatever, like I'll be a legend. I'll be known forever. Like was there a sense going into it that like this is a really big deal? This is like this ha needs to work out. There was, uh, there was that sense of massiveness to it. Uh -huh. There was a sense of, like, to be quite honest with you, there was a sense of intimidation to it. Yeah, wow. I was like, man, like I've always operated as this uh, hood rat, as this, as this white trash trailer park, like drug running, gug dealing hitman, right. right? So then you're entering into this biker world and their, their protocols and, and the rules of the game are different, right? So I had to learn that on the fly a little bit. Were you like a, you're a motorcycle guy? Like, were you? Not really, man. Not, oh, really? You know, not really. I had to get up to speed pretty dang quick because you're <laughs> riding with guys who are the best motorcycle riders on the planet. You know, yeah. these dudes go out for a carton of milk and they, they take the front wheel off the ground, man, and ride wheelies to, you know, go get a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> right. Oh, man. So you had to get on a bike, get trained up. <laughs> Oh well, I saw the part God. in the special where your first ride with them, you were going 100 miles an hour, at least you said. Is that correct? Yeah, and you, you literally needed to have a pair of pliers to get my hands off the grips when that ride was done. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. So you start, all right, so obviously you can't just like. Hold on. <laughs> I ride a lot. I, I, like I, mm -hmm. I ride my bike a lot. 
I've seen some guys though that that ride that are talented riders. I would be scared shitless just to, let alone the fact that they could all fucking kill you immediately. Let alone that bike could have killed you probably numerous times. If I was there, any sketchy situations on the bike? Well, you know what? As I gained their trust and their loyalty and their love, I no longer was worried about getting shot or stabbed by these guys. Okay. I was worried about driving my motorcycle into a telephone pole. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine it because there's some shaky times, even for like the most experienced rider. There's some shit that pops up that you got potholes, fucking anything that could just happen that could ruin your life. Well, you know, like riding in California, we're riding in packs. We're riding like super fast, two by two, like 18 inches apart. And then, you know, you're on a California freeway and you start getting into traffic and these guys start splitting lanes, but they don't back off the throttle. These guys are splitting lanes at 80 miles an hour. Wow. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I got too much bitch in my blood when it comes to riding motorcycles. I'll be like, I'm out. I'm you sorry. can shoot at me if you want, but I ain't riding that bike. I'm sorry I interrupted that. That was no, fun. that was incredible. Because me think like me just thinking of myself, pretty experienced rider at this point, like uh, over a decade worth of riding. There's still some times where I'm like, oh fuck, that could have probably could have been sketchy. I'm not an outlaw riding around my first time on a fucking bike. I mean, that's, that's insane to think about. And the last thing you want to do in this in in this Hell's Angels pack in this group of guys is be the sissy. Right. You don't want to be the guy that pumps the brakes or pulls to the side. It's like you're all in or you're not in. Oh, Jeez. God. All right, so let's talk about how you earn their trust. Like you couldn't just walk right into the Hell's Angels chapter. You started off with uh, with a little affiliate group or what do you call it, a little feeder group. Yeah, you know, it's not like club. you like walk up to the clubhouse door and knock and ask for an application. <laughs> right, you know? right, right, right. You know, so um, we had, there was actually two infiltrations within one. We infiltrated a, a smaller outlaw biker group that was based in Mexico and infiltrated them not to investigate them, but solely for the purpose of wearing their patch, uh -huh. wearing their cut so that we had eyes, we had credibility in the eyes of the angels. Okay. Right, so we were already in that world. Right. right. So, and then we just started running with the angels and and doing all the craziness that they're in. And then at the point came where I was actually confronted by the Hell's Angels leadership and said, "You're either coming with us or you're leaving the state, but you are no longer allowed to ride with this other club." It was an ultimatum. How, how did? Why did you? Why were you given that ultimatum? I think just because they saw us, we created the illusion that we were making money, uh -huh. that we were uh, uh -huh. running guns into Mexico. Yeah. Uh, and and I, it's it's all with these guys. With any criminal syndicate, man, it always comes down to money. And I think they saw guys they liked, guys who uh, represented the, uh, the lifestyle and the image they wanted, but they saw money going out the window. Yeah. Speaking of money then, all right, so were you like given a real good budget? on expenditures and shit like cash you could float around from the ATF? I did. You know what? I always had a wad of money in my pocket, a big wad of money in my pocket, and I made sure they saw it every chance I could give. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, wasn't also, uh, so I watched the the episode on Netflix, the, the feeder group that you were in, the first, the first bike gang that you were in, wasn't there a guy in there who was starting to spread rumors that you were a cop to Hell's Angels? That is ultimately, that's the backstory to what I said about this ultimatum. The, the, the gang we infiltrated, uh -huh. we, we got in on them and then ignored them. And they didn't like that. Uh -huh. And they started telling the angels, hey, man, these guys might be counterfeit, man. They showed up 
and, and ran around with us for a little bit, and we haven't seen him. So the angels actually, within the big picture of the Hell's Angels infiltration, there was a cell of Hell's Angels that that were on a murder mission for me and my partners. Mm. And they were going to kill us because they thought we were trying to infiltrate the gang. And I went to one of the Hell's Angels leaders, convinced him that everybody was wrong, that everybody had me wrong. And that's when the ultimatum came that said, hey, man, well, I don't know what's going on in the past, but from now on, you're either with us or you're gone. And I don't want to ever see your face again. Hey, baby. Hey, baby, ever buy something online only to find out later you miss a discount? Yeah. yeah. Stinks. Oh, yeah. I don't overspend it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to Honey. Honey is a free browser add-on that finds me the best deals online. The app magically auto-applies the best deal to my cart at checkout. Honey finds discounts and coupons across 37,000 sites. Ooh. Amazon, Sephora, Best Buy, Nordstrom, and more. With Honey, I don't worry about missing a deal. I just shop like normal. Honey handles the rest. I bought all kinds of stuff getting ready for Halloween. All kinds of stuff I didn't really need. Didn't want to spend a lot of money on. I saved all kinds of cash. Honey has saved its 10 million members an average of $28.61. That ain't nothing to sneeze at. Ain't not. Nuh-uh. Honey members have already saved more than $800 million. Oh, not bad for something that's completely yeah. free and just takes two clicks to install. Honey's got over 100,000 five-star reviews on Google on the Google Store, and Time Magazine calls Honey basically free money. Oh. Look, there's really no reason not to use Honey. It's free. It's easy to install. Just two clicks. So shop with confidence. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash heartland. That's joinhoney.com slash heartland. Honey, the smart shopping assistant that saves you time and money when you're shopping online. Time and money, honey. Wow. But you had to be grinning on the inside. You're like, fuck, I'm in. I'm in. This was the whole objective, right? Yeah, well, you know what? The, the, that's a great part of it, but now I'm under their thumb. Now I'm under their control. I lost all my independence. When they, when, when some chapter president called at 4 o'clock in the morning and said, bring me a vanilla milkshake, I didn't have the ability to go tell him to go fuck himself anymore. I had to go get a vanilla milkshake. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. So there, was there, there a You're poor- running coffee for the fucking Hells Angels. <laughs> Selling T-shirts. Washing bikes, uh, polishing guys' spokes, running their girlfriends to doctor's appointments, all these unglamorous things that you don't see on Miami Vice that aren't cool, <laughs> that, that you have to do to be believable in their world. It's, man, it's, it's all a test drive. It's you were a mud a, check every day. You were a prospect, right? So I was a prospect, yeah. Um, so, hey, they do, they do really well on merch, right? The Hells Angels? Their, their, their swag? Yeah. Oh my goodness! And like you go to a, uh, a one of their runs, a, a rally, and and I did that job too. Set up a folding table, table, yeah. and then I'm sitting there selling T-shirts and hats and bumper stickers to doctors and lawyers and school <laughs> teachers and all this uh, fanboy base that yeah. comes out. That some guy who like he's pulling people's teeth during the week, and on the weekend he puts on a pair of wraparound sunglasses and a Hell's Angel support shit, and he's Billy Badass. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of the guys like for some reason I was always attached to the ATF. I had a couple friends there, so they would always grab me and my partner to go work with them. But they would always uh, take us to the swap meets to work surveillance there. It's cause, and the Hell's Angels, 
Um, the one time we did it, they had a hell of a merch booth set up. They were crushing it, man. Like people love him. their merch. And then like those guys churn they churn millions and millions of legitimate dollars through yeah. all their swag. It's, it's unbelievable. It's think about it. But you know they're a legend. They're a legendary, like good for a good reason or bad reason. They're a staple of America. You know what I mean? It's a hell of a they, brand. They truly are. They're part of Americana. Like yeah. we as a culture are fascinated by them. You look at the success of like the Sons of Anarchy show. Mm-hmm. Like our culture is fascinated by that world. But it's like looking at the mob world. Like those television shows and those movies let us go into a place that the common man isn't going to go. Yeah. He's not going to go there. And so there's a fascination with it, for sure. Well, and I think I, I'm, I'm one of the people that are fascinated by it. I am always mm-hmm. have been. So I loved going to help on that stuff when I could. But did you find like when you're in there, like, um, you know what? If this th- things were different, like <laughs> I'd be friends with a lot of these guys. Like, yeah, they're criminals and I'm a cop. But beyond that, we get along. Well, I'll tell you this. As an undercover operative, as you know, you can never completely eliminate the human factor. So you're dealing with people at times who are doing vile, despicable things. But then you see a side to their life that that's human. You see them with their families, with their kids, and you see elements to them that you're like, man, I like this side of you. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, there was guy I was there was a couple guys who I had grown very close to in the Mesa charter of the Hells Angels bases outside of Phoenix. Uh Um, I, like these guys, like I slept at their house. They slept at my house. I partied with these guys. I ate with these guys. They took a woman into the Mesa Hells Angels clubhouse. They boot stomped her to the brink of death. Mm. They wrapped her up in a in a rug, took her out in the desert, and cut her head off. Jesus. Wow. Now, there was elements to these dudes running around with them. Like, they were, like, enjoyable, like shooting pool with them, drinking beer with them, riding bikes with them, hanging out. They were likable. At the same side, they were capable of decapitating an innocent woman because she insulted them. So how do you separate that? Wow. I think, man. All right, so me, I got to think. All right, first of all, I'll get to the psychological part of it after we wrap up this case. You did this for how long total were you? It was, it was about them? a two-year run with these guys. Two-year run. Like, and, and two years, like when, I'm, when I say two years, I'm saying every day, every night, yeah. week after week, month after month with these cats. You're in it. And at home, you have a family. I did. Yes, I do. How did that work out? Not very good. Yeah. <laughs> I would think. Yeah. You know, there was actually, um, I came home one time and like, I, like I'm in my, in my street persona and my wife says to me, you cannot walk in this house after being gone for weeks or months at a time and treat us like we're street criminals. And then in my self-defense, I was like, man, I'm not a light switch. I can't turn this on and off. Yeah. People that dabble in what I do for a living end up dead. And then her response was, well, I understand you're not a light switch, but when you come here, you better install a damn dimmer and turn that <laughs> shit down. <laughs> what a line. <laughs> Did there. you have to kill anybody to get in? Well, that, that's actually a good question. Uh, yes and no. So, actually, the way we finally pushed our way over the top was I told the Hells Angels that one of our adversaries was down in Mexico, and I wanted to go kill him. Right. That was I wanted to, I wanted the job. 
They gave me a gun to do it. They obliterated the serial numbers off of it. They gave me the instructions on how I should do it. And we went down to Mexico and killed one of the Mongols motorcycle gang members. Uh, beat him with a bat, duct taped his hands and his feet, buried him in a shell, shallow grave, shot him in the head, took pictures, took the bloody cut off of him, took it all back to the Hells Angels, convinced them that I had committed a murder for him. When I did that, they put a vest on me. They put a cut on me and said, like, welcome to the gang. Like, you took care of business. You showed that you are ready to be a member. What they didn't realize, it was all a hoax. We fabricated the entire murder and bluffed them into thinking that we had committed it. Oh, it's fucking Jesus. awesome. I saw you guys had fake goat brains and, and fake blood all over the place. The pictures were very... Very convincing. We, we, we brought in a homicide detective, and I, t I knew what my story was going to be because I wanted my story for this murder to fit my cover. So I told this homicide detective, this cat's got to look like he's been duct taped, like he's been beaten with a ball bat and popped in the head. So the homicide detective built, the, built a crime scene that fit the story I was going to tell. And then we took pictures of it, and before we actually put those in play – the homicide detective took those pictures to a homicide uh, detectives meeting and passed them out and said, does anybody have a John Doe out in the desert? I caught this case and I don't have any leads. And all the homicide detectives are looking at the pictures. And once he saw that the homicide detectives, the guys that deal with this every day, believed it was legit. Then he called the dogs off on them and said, hey, man, I'm sorry. I had to run this on you because we have an undercover that's getting ready to put these pictures in play. And I needed to make sure that they were legit. Oh, wow. That's yeah. doing your homework, man. That's, that's, that's awesome. Triple stamp and double stamp. <laughs> that's awesome. It's like white man can't jump, yeah. but way better. <laughs> and that came because you came up with that idea because the case had reached a point where because you were a prospect – that it was harder to get the kind of evidence you could get when you were an independent and your agency was about to pull the plug on the case, right? So you came uh, up with this idea. All the above. Good on all you. We were, we were tapping out on money. We were tapping out on time. I was physically, mentally, spiritually exhausted, man, from two years with these guys. I was literally, I would work all day and night and I would go to sleep and I was so worn out. I would boo-hoo cry myself to sleep at night thinking that I couldn't go another day. And then I'd sleep for a couple hours, charge my batteries, get up and be like, okay, you know what? I can go a little bit more, right? It, we were, we were tapped out. It had to come to an end one way or another. And I was like, I'll be damned if I've put all this time in and I'm not getting that patch. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the only guy to ever do it. You're a, you're a bad motherfucker, man. I don't know if people just in your regular life, recognize you know that I'll tell you enough? What, I'll tell or? you what, Todd. Like, I'm not the best undercover guy out there ever, not even close. But what I'm good at is surrounding myself with really smart, really talented people. And when they're amazing, it helped me be amazing, right? That That's like, I was smart enough. I wasn't smart enough to decline the case. I was smart <laughs> enough to surround myself with brilliant people to help me. How much, all right, so speaking of your help, like when you're out there interacting on a, all right, on a day-to-day -day basis, obviously you can't be wired up with a transmitter constantly, or were you, with a recorder of some sort? Or was that only on, all right, today we have a clear-cut objective, we need you to, to record today? Some days, yes. Some days, no. Okay. It was it was hit or miss. You know, if I felt like I was going to get shook down or padded down or searched for a wire, obviously, you know, that's not the day to have uh, <laughs> a piece of electronics yeah. like duct taped up your ass. You know? Right, right. <laughs> 
right, and let's say <laughs> on any given day while you're in there, they discover you're a cop. Your cover gets blown. How close is backup? Or is there any well, backup? you know what? Um, as you know, like there's typically there's cover teams hovering, mm-hmm. you know, whether they're paying attention or not. Like, you know what? You, you ne- you're never quite certain. Right. Whether your wire's working, yeah. you're never quite certain. I always viewed me as my cover team. I always mm-hmm. viewed things that like if I have a problem, it is not on anybody else to solve. I have to resolve it because I always looked at the cover guys. I thought the best these dudes are going to do is show up late, get some retribution, and hose my brains off the po- off the porch. <laughs> that's as good as it's going to get. Yeah, that's that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> you hear that? It's a oh, motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to ride a motorcycle around. You're not supposed to be wearing sleeves. When I see a guy riding a motorcycle who's wearing sleeves, I'm like, that guy's not cool. No, he's not (laughs) a real rider. You need to show off the guns. You need to be fit. That means you need to take care of your body. And listen, your body's nutritional needs change all the time due to a variety of factors like stress, travel, sleep patterns, exercise, a crappy diet. And even with a balanced diet, it can be tough to cover all your nutritional bases. That's why top performers, athletes like us, Executives and entrepreneurs trust Athletic Greens. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Athletic Greens Ultimate Daily is the obsessively researched all-in-one nutritional support containing 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food ingredients. Mm, Just one scoop contains essential vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes, adaptogens. When's the last time you had a good adaptogen? It's been forever. And more. Providing you with convenient and comprehensive nutritional insurance. That supports your gut health, energy, immunity, and more. The travel packs, by the way, they make it so easy to keep up with your healthy routine, whether you're at home, in the office, or you're on the road. There's no need to carry around a backpack full of pill bottles anymore. No harmful chemicals, artificial colors, sweeteners, any of that crap. No GMOs. Get it out. It's dairy-free. No herbicides, pesticides. You name it. Boo! GMOs. It's vegan. You stink. Paleo and keto-friendly. And it's... If it's time for you to focus on your health and feel your best, Athletic Greens takes the guesswork out of everyday good health and does it without compromising on taste or quality. It tastes good. Why shouldn't you try it? Jump over to athleticgreens.com slash heartland and claim our special offer today, which is 20 free travel packs valued at $79. Jesus. With your first purchase. Steal. That's athleticgreens.com slash heartland. Start your day right and good things follow. <laughs> I, you have to out of necessity. This is something uh, I used to help teach at this undercover school, Top Gun, they call out here in Indiana. Are and you guys busting somebody outside, by the way? There's been like 45 cops fly by our office since we started talking to you. So in that school. <laughs> Todd, you were a Top Gun instructor? Yeah. Wow. Oh, look at you. Oh, hey, and it would have been a better movie. So uh, this is one, like that mindset that we always teach the new guys this when they come in because we're the role players. They come in and do their buy or whatever. And we're like, okay, stop right now. Shit goes bad. I pull a gun or I go to the drawer for a gun. I call you out for being a cop. What's your plan? Uh, Bus signal. I'm going to call the bus signal. I'm like, okay, your your transmitter is going to work about 60% of the time. So maybe you save the bus signal as as your secondary plan. And come up with a different primary plan. And they're like, what is it? We're like, there's a door right there. 
primary plan is get my ass out that door and run in that direction as fast as I can as I scream Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, or whatever my bus signal is. Is it so? I'll tell you. Uh, something that you said earlier, you talked about like buying street dope and then we evolve into this conversation of like infiltrating an international organized crime syndicate, right? Uh From having done both and, 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 you know, I think buying the street dope is more dangerous to be quite honest with you. Really? Like you're in this big syndicate and you spend time with them and you gain their trust and you gain their loyalty and you gain their love. And these, there was no doubt there was a point in time where these guys that I was working on would have stepped in front of a bullet for me, right? But when you're buying Mm. street dope out of the park or out of somebody's crack house, that is super dangerous, especially when you're dealing with kids because they don't have enough life's experiences behind them to know what it means to point a gun at somebody or pull the trigger on somebody. Super dangerous, street work, street undercover work, super dangerous, more okay. dangerous than what I did, in my opinion. Well, that, that's so interesting. Guy, take it, you've, you've, done, you've done one-offs, though, where it's just, oh, we're going to use you for today. You're gonna, no, never. Okay. Well, I was going to ask you the difference. I, I would have assumed, for me, it would have been scarier to do what you did. But definitely, I will argue, and you're not going to win this argument, it's more psychologically damaging to do <laughs> yeah. what you did. I mean, that's Well, just... you know what? It's, it's, the, it's the amount of time you spend. Like, yeah. over the course of time, it wears on you. But you know what? What's more dangerous than knocking on the door of a crack house with people that don't know you, especially, like, when you're in the hood and you're a white boy trying to buy a rock? Yeah, you're a robbery you're victim. You're yeah. blasted off that porch, yeah. right? These guys, like, once I won their trust... Man, they weren't going to hurt me. They were going to protect me. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. It, we we did. It was a regular well, thing, except for the eighty miles an hour weaving through traffic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and until you show up in court and testify against them, the things you don't think about. <laughs> there was a the, like the typical white boy undercover move. Around, like you would go out when you had to go to the hood, and you're like, oh. All right, I'm going to get robbed today. That was just your thing. You're like, yeah, I walk in the projects, I'm going to get robbed half the time. You know what? Like one of my best friends bought more crack rocks out of inner city Detroit, like, uh, and, and this is a white boy, than is imaginable, right? And this dude dresses like with a baseball cap and like a golf shirt and dockers and loafers with tassels on them. Uh-huh. And he walks up to the crack house and says, I'm here to buy crack. And they say, get off my porch. And he's like, man, I'll get off your porch. Cause guess what? Your neighbor's selling crack and this neighbor's selling crack. Someone's going to buy it. And you know what? Like you think people in the suburbs don't smoke crack? <laughs> I don't want to be here. It's I great. have to come down here to get my product. And I know you're going to sell me at white boy prices. I know I got to pay more for it. I don't even care because I'm marking it up when I take it home anyway. So just sell me the damn rock. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most fun. That's Fucking the, mayo. That's from, the funnest uh, part about the whole job. <laughs> funnest, funnest part about the whole job is having to, it's like, it's like doing it, comedy. Like crowd work versus telling a joke. Having to think on your feet is the most fun. Like coming up in the moment. And it, I always, I never tr- pretended to talk street or any of that stuff. I just was myself because, you know what? People look j- like me and talk like me like crack just as much as everybody else does. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, I love being that guy and be like, hey, well, yeah, you don't look like you belong here. Yeah, uh, I'm here buying this so my girlfriend doesn't come here and suck your dick for it and keep my 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And that's the perfect... Yeah, I love that. It's believable. <laughs> yeah. It's believable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, man. So this comes down. 
the the indictments, the raids, all that stuff. What was the the final like aftermath? Like how many how many people did you take down the whole charter? Were they done? We I think we arrested fifty five people. Sixteen yes. of them were charged with RICO. We had a couple uh, uh, death penalty uh, uh, charges on the guys that beheaded the the girl. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow. Now, the sad side is that. The, the government internally started arguing about how to prosecute the case and present evidence. And Typical. we half blew up our case. The good guys half blew up their case all on our own, mm. um, which as as the undercover operator is extremely frustrating because I'm like, man, blood, sweat and tears for two years. And now you guys with neckties on are going to fuck this up. Are you kidding me? It's uh, <laughs> the worst. So there were some problems on the investigation end with... It was problems like it. They were legal problems on discovery, yeah. like what we were going to let them have, what we were obligated legally to let them have, what we were going to hold back, uh, what we were going to use to protect informants and things like that. Stuff like way outside my pay grade. Right. Yeah, that's tough. Well, then they burnt your house down after, right, too? Well, you know, when the case ended and now this international organized crime syndicate who they believed – Jay Bird Davis was this gun running hitman. Right. When they find out that Jay Bird Davis is actually Jay Dobbins, a federal agent, yeah, they were a little, they were a little bit pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not get arrested that same night that everybody else got arrested? I assume they would arrest you and then take you out the back door. Is that what happened? Sometimes, yeah, we do that, and that's a good tactic sometimes. We didn't do it on this case. Um, but you know what? When all the buddies that you've been running with for two years are all sitting in a jail cell together and like the one guy who was in the mix isn't there they figure it out pretty quick <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. and they did that motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> and they did burn your house down right oh my like when it came out the death and violence threats were dude they were through the roof right uh -huh. I've, i had the hell's angels had a contract on me they sold a contract to the Aryan Brotherhood. Oh. They sold a contract to the MS-13. Oh, the Russian mob, the Bratva <sighs> was trying to get in on it. L.A. street gangs were trying to get in on it. Um, so I had four or five murder contracts on me. There were threats out there to uh, kidnap and torture my daughter, who was a teenager. Mm. There, were there were threats out there to kidnap my son from school. Um, there was a threat out there to videotape the gang rape of my wife and make me watch it. Um, and then ultimately in August of 2008, yeah, arsonists attacked my home and burned my house to the ground. Wow. Jeez. Wow. Were, were you home? Did you move? Like, what I happened? was gone. My wife and my kids were home. Jesus. Um, oh, man. And so, the, you know, ultimately the investigators come out. They determine it's an arson. And, and they said, you know what? This, this was a botched, a failed assassination attempt. That's what it was. Yeah. So did you, did you not go into, I guess because you're, like witness protection sounds like it was created for this exact situation. Is that not an accurate? You know, Pat, I'll tell you what, man. Um, there is no such thing as witness protection for cops. Witness protection is for informants. Witness protection is for cooperating defendants. You know, like we'll put Sammy the Bull Gravano in witness protection. He's got 17 murders behind him so that he'll rat on John Gotti. Yeah. But, but if Todd needs some help, hey, dude, you're on your own, man. That's what you signed up for. Jeez. That's their mentality? Now that... Did you at least like? Did you still live in Arizona? Like you're, 
you're so close to where all this went down. Has it finally like? Are you to a point now where you're like, okay, everything's good now? Or do you still, from time to time, are you catch yourself watching what's going on behind you at a restaurant or looking next to you when the car pulls up at the stoplight beside you? Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm pretty careful. Um, I don't live in fear because if I live in fear, they win. But I live with caution. Yeah. I know what they're capable of. I've seen what they're capable of. Um, but like, I try to live my life. Uh-huh. You know, I um I stood up to it. And to be quite honest with you, after this amount of time. They've just found new people to hate, man. I think they're bored with me. Yeah. That makes sense. I hope so. Makes sense. That's, That's wild. Yeah. 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 Uh, today, like, how, how do you, like, did you ever have to, um, like, psychologically, like, I, I would assume this takes a toll, that there's some sense of PTSD or something associated with putting yourself through 500 some undercover operations, this maybe being the biggest, but you had a lot of others, too. Is there any after effect psychologically? I'll tell you what, like there's a good side to that. There's a happy ending to all that, right? I was an absolute train wreck. I was like the nastiest, darkest, uh, most despair. I hated everybody, man, um, to be quite honest with you. Um, But it highlighted for me, it highlighted my failed spirituality, right? I realize I'm a control guy. I tried to control everything, Uh right? And make everything go the way I wanted to. And I realized I'm not controlling anything, man. None of this is on me. And I realized, you know, if the only time you're talking to God is when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's very true. Yeah, man. Jay was uh, the decapitation incident. Was that the wildest thing you saw in person in your time? I was not. I was not there when Cynthia Garcia was murdered. I, I was aware of it after. And then, and then tried to pursue uh, the two murderers, a guy named uh, Kevin Augustiniak and a guy named Paul Eichheit became a focal point of what we were trying to do because we were trying to tie them in to the murder. We, we had a decapitated body. This lady had, she had like five or six kids, man, um, that like mom just doesn't come home one night after going to party with the Hells Angels, you know, and so... We were trying to catch them, but we were trying to get justice for those kids too. How do you stay out of that? Like how? Like I assume that there was other occasions where they're like, "Hey, can you help us? Can you help us kill this person?" or things like that. How do you stay out of those situations? Well, I'll tell you one. You know, I'm I'm in uh, Phoenix, and I get sent on a murder mission to kill some guys in Las Vegas, and it's non-negotiable. And they're telling me, "You're going to do this. This is how you're going to do it." And then the the kicker, the caveat was, we're going to be hiding around the corner. And if you don't kill them, we're going to kill you. That was, I mean, those were the rules, right? So in route to Las Vegas, I get in contact with some cops, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, tell them what the plan is. And actually the cops intervened on the the, the targets of the murder Mm. and got them stopped and got them held. So I showed up to where I was supposed to be, when I was supposed to be there, waited around, patrolled around like I was ready to take care of business when the when the victims never showed up. In the eyes of the Hells Angels who were watching, all they knew was that I was there ready to handle the work that they gave me. They didn't know that I had orchestrated to have it diffused. Hold on. So Hold you on. just called the Las Vegas Police Department. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, so I'm a cop, but I'm in the Hells Angels. They want me to kill a guy? 
is there any way you guys can possibly pick him up and make sure he doesn't show up there? And they're like, yeah, you got it, buddy. 10-4, we just got done arrested some blacked-out kid on a strip anyways. <laughs> <laughs> is that how that goes? That's, that's an oversimplification of it, but it's not that far off. <laughs> I've had people at Las Vegas Metro that I could call and say, hey, man, this is Jaybird. I'm running up here. This is the deal. I need some help, and I need it now. But but your explanation of it really isn't all that far off from the truth. <laughs> wow. It's all about your network, huh? You just call, and you're like, I need this taken care of, and you, you know the two guys to reach to in that area. They, they get it done. Exactly. I had worked I had worked with the with the Vegas Metro guys like very closely. I had spent a lot of time in Vegas after Timothy McVeigh blew up the Oklahoma City building. Yeah. Right? I got sent to Vegas because McVeigh, there was some remnants of McVeigh's crew in the in the southern Nevada area. So I got sent there to try to scoop up and figure out who was who in the zoo there, who was left after McVeigh, you know, did his deed in Oklahoma City. And, And in the process of that case, we actually got in on a crew of people that were planning to blow up three Las Vegas casinos as a part of Oklahoma City Part Two. They were going to blow up the Mirage, the Treasure Island, and the Golden Nugget. And we diffused that case in the process of this undercover infiltration. But I, so I built some strong bonds with those guys in Vegas. I'd imagine. So when I got sent there, like I had people to call that knew I was legit. Three bombings? (laughs) Never heard of this. Who just called you? Oh, it was that guy that saved three blocks of Vegas. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah, he needs what? These cats were planning Oklahoma City Part 2. This was the the leftovers from McVeigh, and they were like, hey, McVeigh blew up the Oklahoma City bidding in Oklahoma City. But so what? It's in the heartland. It's it's farmers and ranchers and and good Christians. We're going to knock the piss out of America in Las Vegas where there's drugs and booze and sex and prostitution and gambling like they were going to make a bigger statement Uh, and we got in on a crew where we actually sold the crew c4 bombs that they were going to use to to cause these three explosions and then when we transferred the the devices to them you know we knocked them off and that was the end of the case That's just by the way. Hear about. That's just something in his resume that wasn't going to show up <laughs> yeah. here. By the way, you know, I'll tell you why you don't hear about it. It was like section C, page nine in the Las Vegas Sun is because Las Vegas is driven by tourism, oh, and the yeah, newspaper yeah. sure as hell ain't going to promote that someone was going to blow up three prime casinos on the strip. Oh, wow. <laughs> What's your relationship like now with law enforcement, and particularly the ATF? Um, for the most part, it's very good. Uh-huh. Uh, like I've, I've always had a love with, uh, for street cops, for people with boots on the ground, uh, for the agents that are out there taking the risks to keep me and you safe. With ATF's executives, with ATF's top shelf bosses, uh-huh. um, man, they wouldn't, uh, if I was laying on the street on fire, they wouldn't piss on me to put me out. <laughs> really? <laughs> what? Wow, that's a, that's a real big certificate of appreciation there i mean jesus christ you're jay dobson well you know it uh when you deal and probably in any business right probably in your business in sports when anything when you deal with people that are insecure and then you put corruption and power and titles and influence behind them man that's a dangerous combination man 
Yeah, it's real political up there too. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you saw this or not, but um, <laughs> the, the Secret Service appreciates me. That's a certificate of appreciation. Ever seen one of those? I don't know if you ever seen one of those. I mean, I don't know. You say three blocks of Vegas, but I don't know if you've ever got one of these. I've done a lot of shit, and I don't have one of those, and now I'm jealous. <laughs> you ever protect the governor at uh, Indy 500? <laughs> Is that a coyote? <laughs> I believe so. It's scary stuff. You know, coyotes don't wear shirts, uh, <laughs> but we do. And have you ever wondered why traditional button-ups look so baggy and uh, uh, yes. make, make you look like a frumpy asshole everywhere? Yeah. Like, oh, oh, Zeke. The worst. Frumpy. Oh, Zeke. Well, it's probably because they were never meant to be worn that way. <laughs> Which is why untuck it shirts were specifically designed to be worn untucked. Oh. Yeah, I mean, listen, they're the brand you're looking for. Oh, yeah. right? We talk about it all the time. The it's time. the original untucked shirt. It's mm-hmm. a modern solution to an old problem. Do I want to tuck my shirt in, look like an asshole, get made fun of all day? No. <laughs> Loser! Oh, no. I just want to untuck it. No tucking, no tailoring required. I have 12 no of them. Yeah, exactly. We all do. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what your size or shape, their shirts are going to be the perfect untucked length mm-hmm. for you. And uh, me personally, I mean, the, the, the shirt buying experience, I'm tired of it. I'm sick yeah, and tired of it. Going it. down to the mall, it it's smells like shit down there. There's a bunch of people. Babies are crying. They Ugh. don't have your size. They don't have your color. What a Ugh. nightmare. Untuck It has changed your shirt shopping experience forever. All right, that with more than 50 fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on all tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Mm. You could also be rotund. I don't think you, you know they don't add that there, but yeah, you could be. Yeah, yeah. I've it's, seen it. Definitely mm-hmm. have a dad bod. Exactly. You could be rotund. So I mean, un- you can basically be assured that whatever untuck it shirt you're gonna get, it's gonna fit your frame. You're gonna be able to find it in your color option, and you're gonna be able to get it in just the design you like. Amen. Try it on in person or at one of Untuck It's fifty stores, or go to untuckit.com to get started. They can even offer free shipping and returns on all orders in the U.S. You can save 20% on your first order by using promo code USA at checkout. That's untuckit.com, promo code USA. U-S-A. Nick, you a question? Uh, Jay, during your time in the infiltration process, you were obviously gathering information to put a case together on these guys. But were, were your eyes opened at all to the way they operate as, let's call it a syndicate, in the sense that you could take that information and use it against other operations in the future? Or was it mostly just all about taking down these specific groups? No, that's a great question. Yeah. You know, these guys, the angels, have modeled themselves after traditional organized crime. So you have various tiers and various levels of criminality with everything down to uh, foot soldiers down on the ground who are doing the dirt and then money flows up to the kingpins you know to the capos to the bosses um, and and they're smart about it they're they, they've taken the organized crime model and how you know the, uh, the 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 five families of New York operate, and they've turned that, they've stole that model and adapted it for themselves. That's a great wow. question. They, they, they're it's such a, a network. I'm, there was a guy here, it's a doctor, and he was a, a member 
of the Hell's Angels, like in Franklin, Indiana, I think it was, because every now and then they would be like, hey, go drive by the doctor's house. There's two bikes outside to get the play-dovers. And you I'll just tell you what, there was a guy, there was a Hell's Angel that was part of the case we worked on that was a pilot for America West Airlines. Wow. Right? And this cat, like when you saw him, he looked like a pilot for America West Airlines, right? But then he'd come home and roll his sleeves up and he was covered in tattoos. And the best part about this, he was not a guy who was out there doing a lot of dirt, but he was flying a commercial airliner three days a week with hundreds of passengers on it. But the best thing I loved about him was that he would bring flight attendants back to our parties. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's why. That's how he got patched in. He had, a, he had a, an end with all the stewardesses. Everybody knew that that Ralph made his trip from Phoenix to Seattle and back to Phoenix on Thursdays. And Thursdays, he was going to drag those flight attendants and say, hey, you guys want to party with the Hells Angels? Super cool. Super fun. Super crazy. You're going to have a great time. You know, and then these flight attendants would show up and they'd start like pouring booze down their throat and roofing in their drinks, and the shit was on. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> What's the scariest thing you ever done outside? It was it, would it be included in anything that you said here? Like the, this one thing that, like, if you had your biggest, oh, almost shit my pants moment as an undercover agent. You know what? i tell you what I think probably when I was most scared was that first undercover deal when I, like, not these big, glorious, glamorous, sexy ones, uh-huh. like, that one where you've never done it before. I was actually meeting with a gangster on the south side of Chicago, a black kid who was selling me a gun that was used in a murder. Mm. And we were doing a trunk to trunk deal. He popped his trunk. I popped my trunk. We exchanged money. The, the, the contraband exchanged. And man, like if he was paying attention, he would have known because I was scared shitless. Yeah, you'll never forget it probably. I, all right. Then after, you know, you do it and then you, you have some success and then you do it again and then you do it again. It's like anything else. You know, you look at someone that operates on someone's brain. You look at the guy that flies the space shuttle and we say like, oh, man, I don't think I could do that. Yes, you could. With the right experience and training and the amount of time it takes, you could do it. The, like what I did, anybody could do it with the right experience and training and and, and all those things that go into making anybody great at what they do. And willingness. That's I think that's the biggest. Mm-hmm. And uh, courage and bravery. A lot of things <laughs> that you are just leaving off the list here that not everybody has that you definitely have. Todd, you as well, by the way. Um, so you're now retired from the Hells Angels, okay? Right now we're talking to you. You have probably 10 rings I'm on your hands you right asked. now. Tad it up. Your goat, yeah, you have eight rings on your hands. You're tatted up. You have one of the most legendary biker goatees I've seen in a long time. I mean, is it? It's still very much a part of you, the biker lifestyle. It appears. Pat, this goatee is a lot like uh, your hair was before you got the haircut, man. It's like it does its own thing. <laughs> My mugshot. I'm sure you guys saw that with the Hell's Angels. <laughs> That's incredible. But yeah, so I got these rings, you know, and I literally have not had these rings off my fingers in, like, for any reason in probably 20 years. Really? For any reason. I sleep with them. I take a shower with them. I work out with them. On one hand, I have the Virgin Mary, which to me symbolizes, like, innocence and purity, right? On the other hand, I have a lion because I love the saying, everybody wants to be a lion until it's time to do the lion shit. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, Very true. Good. Do you still ride? I have a motorcycle that literally sits in my garage with a sheet over it that hasn't been ridden for years. Oh, so it's not something like you, that you left with this love of just riding. I, it was never. I was never one of these uh, live to ride, ride to live guys. Um, I, I got that all out of my system with these cats for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet. So what do you do now? What's what's life like now for uh, Jay Dobbins? I well, like right now, I coach high school football. I've coached high school football for the last ten years. We're right in the middle of uh, an undefeated season. We're the number two ranked hey, team. Hey, here we go. Uh, and that at the school I coach at, we literally run our high school football program like the college program I was a part of thirty years ago. Wow! It is a year-round, like huge commitment for the coaches, for the players, for the parents, everybody. Um. I, I have I have a, a podcast for cops called Copland where okay. um, I've interviewed some like superstar cops that have all kinds of crazy dynamic amazing stories. Um, I've written a couple books as you mentioned in the interview. You know I'm a public uh, a public school kid, so I think people are amazed sometimes that I was actually <laughs> able to put sentences together and make a paragraph and then make a chapter, right? Uh huh. Um, I do some public speaking. I, I do training for law enforcement groups. I do some Good. corporate speaking, and um, and that I mean I, that keeps me just as busy as I was when I was out buying dope and guns and bombs. When you um <laughs> when you oh, when you said Copland earlier that you ran a four two in Copland, I was like, oh, good name there, Copland. Uh-huh. And I'm happy to hear that that's a podcast of yours. That's a that's a good, that's a great fucking brand. Yeah, and I and I, I didn't hesitate to mention it because it's so small and so tiny and so unknown. It's absolutely no threat to you guys. <laughs> no, we want more people to listen. Yeah. I think people like you who have done so much for the community should succeed, and we hope everybody listens to that. I, I honestly hope everybody on Earth listens. Get to that. as big as you want. Right That's on. awesome. Dude, you have to go around. You have dude. more street cred than anybody else in that whole field. So you should be the host of Copland. You should well, be the king the thing, of you know Copland. What? Like, and and I don't take Mayor, myself too serious. Like, I'm I'm proud of what I accomplished. I'm proud uh-huh. of what I did. But I don't take myself too serious, man. Um, as soon as you start taking yourself serious. Um, and it, man, that's that's dangerous, man. I don't do that. You get hit up by Hollywood much? Like, hey, you want to come in and do some consulting on this film or whatever? I have. I've done some consulting. I actually consulted. I don't know if you guys are familiar with a movie called Den of Thieves. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I was the law enforcement consultant on Den of Thieves. Oh. And if you watch close enough, I have a scene in Den of Thieves with O'Shea Jackson and, and Jerry Butler. Nice, Jerry Butler. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> you boys, wasn't uh, Nate the snapper? Yeah, Nate Boyer. Nate yeah. Boyer was Nate it? Boyer. Nate mm-hmm. Boyer plays a, a guard at the at the Fed. Yeah. Um, at the at the uh, at the federal bank, and uh, and I've come to know Nate, and I like Nate. If you uh, if you need movie. a good story for your podcast, Todd once armed uh, the bad people. Yeah, he had a gun on his leg. He kicked the trailer door in. Uh, gun went flying off his leg. Armed the bad guy. Door slammed shut. He has no gun. They have two guns. <laughs> First time wearing an ankle you know gun. <laughs> like when you like when you spend a career uh-huh. in law enforcement, when the boys get together, and and this the, the same thing happens in sports. When the boys get together, everybody's got these glorious arrest stories and cases and busts and seizures and search warrants. But when the boys get together, those are the stories yeah. they tell, and those are the stories they love because they're real. 
Yeah, it's the same thing. Like when I see Pat do it, when uh, like he has an NFL buddy or former teammate in here, they all talk about the funny shit that happened in the locker room or yep. one night when they went out. You know, those are the things you hold on to. And no I always, one's saying, no one's telling the story like, hey, remember when we chased these guys and we got in the shootout and we arrested everybody? They're saying the stories like, remember the time I shit my pants on surveillance? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to go shit my pants, and I have a meeting. I am so thankful you stopped by Heartland Radio today, man. This is awesome. Thank you. I'm honored to be here with you guys. Thank you. They still have a lot of questions. I have to go. I am so sorry. But, man, what a fucking legend you are, sir. Very kind. Yeah, no Very kind. Thank you. That guy was awesome. He's the best. Thanks for coming in, Pat. Hey, no problem. Thank you. Hey, Jay. Um, I'll get you out of here. It's been almost an hour, man. I can't thank you enough. Anytime at all that you pass through Indianapolis, yeah. please holler at me. And come by and see us here. Um, I'll hook you up with whatever I can hook you up with, with the comedy club or wherever else. You know, if you want a night out, or I'll, I'll go. I'll go buy you dinner and some. Uh, do you drink? Do, uh, I drink a lot. Okay. <laughs> Good. Good. I love it. Hey, I, I noticed you've been uh, you've been hitting a vape. I and in the I, I assume you just smoked. Sig after sig after sig oh, in the yeah. angels. Oh, yeah, living the dream. I'll tell you what. There was a point in time during that case. I was smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. Oh, I was wow. smoking them, like lighting them end to end about as fast as I could smoke them. Plus, like drinking a case of Red Bull and eating hydroxy, like the old hydroxy Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I was done eating, that. Ruined my heart. I was eating the, the, the hydroxy cuts that still had the ephedra in them. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was wow. eating those like candy. <laughs> you, you were jacked too, man. So why did you, did you, was there workout time at the <laughs> clubhouse there? Where the, you know, I'll tell you what, man. I ran with guys. There's Hell's Angels that literally are professional, world-class fitness bodybuilders. Really? Um, like, they don't drink. They don't smoke. Um, they get their rest. They're, like, uh, dual, doing meal prepping and, and waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning to eat a filet. Wow. Um, and go to the gym. And, and so, yeah, so, like, I took that. And 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 jumped on that and went to the gym with these guys. Yeah, might as well. You're like, oh, well, I'm stuck in this two year undercover operation. I might as well get fucking built, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Hey, th thanks so much. Um, once again, I just want people to know that uh, your books are out there. Um, I'm gonna name them off again one more time. No Angel, my heroin undercover journey to the inner circle of the Hell's Angels, which I assume it's. This Operation Black Biscuit. Mm -hmm. Correct. Complete story of that. And then Catching Hell, a true story of abandonment and betrayal. This is more like an overall, uh, your total career, your body of work. With You're spot team? on. Exactly. Okay. Thank you. Man, uh, obviously two, two great books. I can't wait to, to read it. Um, go to jdobbins.com. Find out more about what's going on with him and what he has available. And please, please, please listen to Copland. Mm -hmm. You guys are bugging me all the time about good cop podcasts, and we've yet to be able to come up with one. I guarantee <laughs> you that's a must listen. So uh, go over to check out Copland. I assume it's on iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff. It is. It's on all of them. And nice. I mean, I'm like, you know, we're kind of just getting started, but we've interviewed like Donnie Brasco, Joe Pistone. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> Donnie. Wow. Uh, you know, like some, some legendary. You know, some some legendary uh, military law enforcement firefighters that, like with That's stories awesome. that literally like when you're listening to these dudes yeah. tell their story, like I'm sitting there listening to them 
and like tears are running down my face with some of the with what some of these people went through to take care of me and you and our families right and so that's what it's about nice man good for you everybody check that out i can't thank you enough one more time guys let's give it up for jay dobbins thank you, hey, jay. Thank you for having me thank, thank you, you jay for, i'm honored thank you